morning. Good morning. Good morning. I, I, I want to start this morning with a story. You ready for a story? It's a true story. It's not fiction. It's true. 1977 was the year we purchased this property for $365,000. And at the time, LBF was made up of about 200 people that were college age or very young families. You know, and I was here at that time, and, and the, that amount, when we heard that, it seemed like a fortune, like millions of dollars today would seem to us, because, you know, we knew that God was going to have to provide. How many of you remember being a poor college student? Some of you. That's good. Okay. How many of you remember those early days of being a parent and trying to buy enough diapers to hold your kids over? You know, and then, well, I don't have any extra money. Well, that's the nature of this, of the church family that were, that got this property for $365,000. And we just knew that if this was going to happen and God was going to have to be in it, that's the only way it was going to happen because we did not know at the time where that money was going to come from. Well, we had a down payment of $65,000, which we gave the guy, and then the plan, the plan was to pay monthly interest payments, and once a year, for three years, pay $100,000 at a time. So, whew, they gave us a little bit of time to come up with hundred grand, you know? And so, for the, for the first couple of years, things were going okay. It was always close. It was always, ah, but it was, it was there. But in 1980, when our last payment of $100,000 come due, ah, we didn't have it. We didn't have it. I mean, at the time, I was volunteering, catch this, collecting all the money, depositing all the money, balancing the checkbook, writing the checks. I'd make numerous trips up and down the hill at that time. Now, we wouldn't do that this time right now. You know, we don't send money home to people or one person doing it all. I mean, that's not the way we do it today. We wouldn't do it that way today. But with a little more than 12 hours left before our payment was due, we were $20,000 short. So what are we going to do? Well, the founding pastor at that time, he says, Gary, here's what I want you to do. I want you to write the check and I want you to send it off. I said, but, but there's not enough money in the bank to cover, clear the check. I mean, how many of you ever written a $100,000 check and you're $20,000 short? That's the one and only time I ever did that. One and only time. And so, you know, before, wouldn't you know, just before the deadline came, the $20,000 appeared and we put it in our checkbook and the, bank, the check cleared. And we go, isn't it just like God to wait to the 11th hour to meet our needs? I mean, why couldn't you do it like a month earlier? No, I want you to trust me. No, I want you to believe in me. And that's what happened in our church family. Because here we are, a bunch of college students, and I was one of the young family people, and we were here and we're going, we have this newfound belief that God can provide through us. He can provide through us. Now that $20,000 came from one person. And I know that it didn't come from guilt. It didn't come because there was coercion. Hey, you got to give this because we really need this. Didn't come from, if you don't give this, we're going to lose our property. Didn't come from guilt producing, none of that. It was kind of a surprise, like, aha, whoa, where'd that come from? And we found out. It came from a place of cheerful giving. And that's what we're going to talk about today, cheerful giving. Aren't you glad you came? <laughs> come on, just, yeah. Yeah, okay, Good. Because Christian giving comes from a place of enjoyment, not from a place of obligation. That's our big thought for the day. Really? 
Yeah, Christian giving comes from a place of enjoyment, not a place of obligation. Now, this story is just one of many that we could share of how God has provided in some really wonderful ways over the last 40 plus years history of this church. Now, I want you to know that the timing of this message has nothing to do with the fact we're not in a financial crisis at this church. It's not like, give or we're going to lose the property. That's not where we're at. We're not in any kind of financial crisis. It's not about stirring up your emotions. Oh, Gary's going to stir up all my emotions and so I have to give. And it's not about trying to make you feel guilty, whether you think you're giving or not giving. It's not about any of that. Here's what it's about. It's about how is a church family, me and you, that we need to hear and be reminded of what the scriptures say about our finances and about our giving. Because giving cheerfully to the Lord is something all Christians are gonna be doing. They should be doing. (laughs) Now, if you're new here this morning, you walked in and go, well, okay. I knew I was gonna walk in here someday and the church is gonna talk about money and all they're gonna want is my money. Can I just say, if, you, if you're here for a long period of time, when we talk about money, it's usually to say thank you for your generosity because God's being generous with us today, financially. So it's not about that. So bear with us, okay? And then secondly, I believe there's some truths here today, whether you're a Christian or not, that if you put them into practice, you can become a cheerful giver wherever you give. And so I just want to encourage you to stay tuned in, to stay connected. Don't tune out and say, if somebody leaves right now, I'll know who you are. But if they've been, <laughs> stay tuned out, stay connected. I hope you will. Let me read the passage first, and then we'll, we'll, uh, we'll dig into that a little bit. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. If you have a Bible, you can find it. It's on the screen behind me. It's also in your insert, which I encourage you to pull out and take notes, because I love taking notes. Hope you do too. Okay, verse six is where we start this. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly. So that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of what? Your righteousness. And you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Father, we all admit, at least I've been told by others, that talking about money and giving is really difficult in the church. And so I want to pray that uh, you would use me this morning to just work through this passage in a way that is truthful and accurate and brings life and brings health to our church. And I just pray, God, that as we go through this, that your spirit would be at work in my heart and in the hearts of everyone who is here because we want to honor you in every part of our life, including our finances. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We're called by God to be cheerful givers. Now, to some, 
That may seem kind of stupid, ridiculous. I don't want to go there. They might say, are you kidding me? I mean, I work hard to earn this money and take care of my needs and my wants, and I'm supposed to give it away. And, and not only that, I'm supposed to do it cheerfully? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's what you're supposed to do. That's exactly what God is calling those of you who, who call themselves Christians, who put your faith in Jesus, have become a Jesus follower. And while cheerful is the word used here in the New International Version, which we use, when you look at the original word, it's actually where we get our word hilarious. We're to be hilarious givers. That takes on a whole other meaning, doesn't it? I mean, have you, have you ever experienced that time in life where you just, something tickles your fancy and you're in the room and you just start laughing and then you just can't stop laughing? It's kind of like uncontrollable laughing and the people around you see you laughing and they don't know what you're laughing about. I'm going to laugh too. It's just funny that you're laughing and all of a sudden the whole room is laughing and you're laughing so much that tears are coming out of your eyes and your stomach is hurting. You got to stop laughing, but you just keep laughing and you're feeling good, and then finally you stop laughing because you're just worn out, you're just tired of laughing, and you just think to yourself, Whew, I needed that. I needed that. <laughs> See, well, how does a person get to that kind of point when it comes to their money? <laughs> because that's how they are supposed to feel when they give. <laughs> I go, <laughs> I know some of you are probably thinking, you know, boy, that's not how I feel when it comes to giving, <laughs> you know. In fact, it hurts me to give, and I don't really do it, but I like to do it because God tells me to do it, and so I should do it, but I do it, but I don't want to do it, but I do it. But that's not what giving is going to be supposed to be like. Let's ask ourselves a question this morning, all throughout this morning. What does it take to be a cheerful giver? What does it take? We're going to see in these first two verses, verses 6 and 7, that giving starts with a decision. It starts with a decision, what? To trust God with our financial future. You know, as we look at the passage, let me give you a little background before we get into verse six. So you look at the first five verses of, uh, of chapter nine. The Christian church in Jerusalem is in trouble financially. They need financial help. And Paul is on his third missionary journey, doing a little fundraising, sharing the gospel, reviewing, looking at the churches that, that he started and all that. And he writes this second letter to the church in Corinth, the city of Corinth. And in chapter 9, in the first five verses, he reminds this, this group of believers that they have a commitment that they've already made. They don't know how much the commitment's going to be, but they've made a commitment to give to the needs of the Jerusalem church. And so he asks in these first five verses that they have this money, this gift, this offering ready when he arrives. I mean, don't do it when I get there. Do it before I get there because I don't want you to be embarrassed because he's been boasting to this Macedonian church about this Corinthian church. And the Macedonians, if you read about them in chapter eight, they were giving liberally out of their poverty to meet this need of the Jerusalem church. And so he's probably thinking, I'm gonna bring some Macedonians with me and I don't want them to be, you know, I don't want to be embarrassed because they're doing this and they're doing this. And so he says, have this ready for me. Now, Paul knows what we all know about giving. When it comes to giving, we need reminders. We need reminders. <clears throat> That's what I'm doing today. I'm reminding you. Because it's easy to forget or lose our focus when it comes to our money. So here we have verse 6. And what are we reminded of? Look at the first two words. Remember this. Paul writes this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. 
And who sows generously will also reap generously. Now, the people he was writing to this were intimately familiar with the principles of an agricultural economy. They knew all about this. This goes, da-da, I get that. No farmer ever considered sowing seed as a loss of seed because he knew a harvest was going to be coming. And he has to have some of the harvest, the grain he hangs on to, but then he takes some of that and turns it into seed because if he takes it all, he'll have no seed for the next time. Consequently, he never gets upset with the seed he plants in the ground and he doesn't try and skimp by with sowing as little as possible because he knows that's going to be a bad harvest if he does that. And if for some reason some farmer who's not thinking tries to skimp, he is not going to have a great harvest. It's going to go bad for him. And so that Paul starts with this analogy by giving means that plentiful giving is going to result in a plentiful harvest. Now, certainly there are some noble reasons to give. For example, I'm so amazed at all that God is doing in my life that I just want to show that. And so I'm going to give. Or God has blessed me so much financially that I want to use a portion of it to further his work on this earth. But what this passage points out to us isn't the most noble reason to give. It's not the most sacrificial reason to give, but it's still a good reason. And it's a particularly good reason for those who are presently small givers or zero givers. Why? Because it gives us an incentive that we can appreciate. So little, get a little. So a lot, get a lot. Now, most of us, pretty quickly, we get the idea of sowing sparingly or sowing generously. We know what that means. It has to do with how much money I'm going to give. Like, do I give that smallest bill in my wallet just because I want to contribute to something as I go out the door? Do I make giving, writing my first check every time I get a paycheck? Or do I look for opportunities outside the church to give to help move forward the ministries that God is moving in people's lives? See, sowing is pretty clear. The reaping part is not so clear. What are we reaping? <laughs> Let's start with what it's not. All right? Make it clear. It's what it's not. This is not a prosperity gospel passage. This is not Paul acting like a televangelist and he says, just send in your money and God will bless you tenfold in the next 30 days. I guarantee it. That's heresy, folks. It's not true. You won't find that in the scriptures. Because we know when we read the New Testament, we never see God desiring to make us rich so that we can live out our materialistic passions. To the extent that he gives us abundance financially, it's largely so that we can move his work forward, so we can be blessing to those around us, not so we can endlessly keep raising our standard of living. That's hard for me to hear. It's probably hard for you to hear. We live in America after all. That's the dream, isn't it? So what does it mean? What does reap generously look like? Well, let me just remind you of one of, the, one of the goals, the great goals of the Christian life is supposed to be that we grow to become more like Jesus every single time we wake up. In fact, the things that God allows in our life, the good, the bad, the easy, the hard, are designed to help us become more like Jesus. And I personally believe that a powerful tool that God can use to help us become more like Jesus is our money. How does this happen? Well, let me leave Corinthians for a minute and go back to Sermon on the Mount. Some words of Jesus. He writes this. He says this. Pardon me. Where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. Where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. <laughs> so, 
If I spend a ton of money on a big bass boat, my heart is going to go there quite a bit, right? If I like to spend money on buying new clothes, my heart is going to go there quite a bit. If I can put it like this, money is heavy. Money is heavy. Money has this spiritual and emotional weight to it. Because see, where I put significant amounts of money, my attention and my heart are going to go there. Now, what that means for our purposes here this morning is let's say right now I'm someone who gives almost nothing to the Lord or his church. But as I invest in his work, in increasing amounts, my heart is going to be increasingly drawn to God's work on this earth, and that has eternal implications. Why? Because where my treasure is, there will my heart be also. So if someone from this church is heading out on a go team, which is happening, about 125 people or so are going out on a go team this year, I'm probably not really focused on how it goes. You let me give $500 or more to the trip, and all of a sudden, you know what? I'm now interested in how it goes. I want to know how that went. The mad idea is the money was heavy, and it drew my heart there. That's not necessarily a bad thing. The idea with the thought of sowing and reaping is that we should give freely knowing that there will be a return. But we got to be careful about what that return is. The payback or the return is not always, not always material goods, but it is always worth far more than what we gave. Those who, like the foolish farmer, sow sparingly or who refuse to trust God with their financial security will inevitably inevitably lose out on God's spiritual and richest blessings. You see, those who invest generously, who sow generously, they get an eternal yield that's going to exceed their expectations. (laughs) What if that person hadn't written that $20,000 check? Where would we be today? Where would we be today if many people, even people sitting in this room, are not as generous as they are as they honor God with their giving, where would we be spiritually? Where would the lives be that have been impacted by this church over the 40 plus years? You see, to be a cheerful giver, we have to start with a decision to trust God with our financial future. Okay, the next question, how much should we give? He answers that in verse seven. And this is what we keep talking about, mainly when we talk about how we want us to give. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. How? Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I mean, each Corinthian believer was to decide how much God wanted him or her to give. Each of you should decide. And in the deciding, there is this attitude there to have. It's not to be reluctant. It's not to be from a person feeling, I got to give, I got to give, I got to give. It's not to be because of pressure tactics or someone standing up here and making you feel guilty if you do not give. It's got to come from a cheerful heart. You see, God weighs the heart first, not the amount of money. He looks at the giver, not the gift. A cheerful giver gives, remembering this principle of sowing and reaping and makes a decision about how much of the reaping of the benefits of a relationship with God they desire to have. Now listen, for the farmer, motive makes absolutely no difference, right? If he sows good seed and has good weather, he's going to reap a yield for his profit. 
It makes no difference how he plans to use the money that he earns. The yield will be just the same. But motive for a Christian is all that it's about. Motive in giving is vitally important. Our giving is to come from our hearts. The motive of the heart is to trust God. We can't be sad givers. We can't be mad givers. We've got to be glad givers who cheerfully share what we have because we have experienced the grace and the provision of God. If we cannot give cheerfully, then we just got to stop. And we have to take some time to examine our hearts before the Lord and say, God, I need your help. I need you to open up my heart and help me to see the grace and the provision you have given me because I really want to be a cheerful giver. Now certainly, God can bless the gift that's given out of a sense of duty. I'm sure he does all the time. But God cannot bless the giver unless his or her heart is right. What does it take to be a cheerful giver? Cheerful giving starts with a decision, a decision to trust God with our financial future. But the sad reality, and this was true in my life early on, the sad reality is that many Christians don't invite God into their financial life. That's true on both sides of the equation. So when it comes to income side, they presume they're on their own. I got to make this happen. I'm smart. I'm strong. I am going to earn money. I'm going to take care of my family. They're responsible for making sure they have enough. They have little or no thought sometimes of going to God and saying, God, I need provision. Can you help me out? When it comes to the expense side, they give almost nothing to God's work. They might drop this single bill in as I've talked about, but there is no plan to give cheerfully. God wants to be invited into every part of our lives. The goal of the Christian is to give Jesus control over every part of their lives, including money. Let's go on to verse 8 and 9. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. So here's what I see in this verse. I see cheerful giving acts on our belief of God's promises to meet our need. Cheerful giving acts on our belief of God's promise to meet our needs. They have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. When it, when, I thought about this. What was the biggest obstacle? Or what is the biggest obstacle a person has to overcome in order to give? And I don't know what it is for you. I don't know what it is. I know what it's been for me. It's one word. (laughs) Worry. Worry. Right? What if I don't have enough money to retire next year? I'm not retiring next year, by the way. (laughs) What if I, what if some emergency, at least I don't think I am. what, What if some emergency comes up? What if I lose my job? What if I can't make my house payment? I went through a time where I thought, wondered about that. Early, early days of LBF. What about paying for my kids' college? They ended up paying for their own college. What, 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 well, how will I ever pay for my daughter's weddings? Three of them. <laughs> how will I put food on the table? Or pay all those bills? Worry, worry, worry. All the what ifs. <clears throat> As I said, that's where I've been. These are real obstacles to us, Right? 
Real obstacles. So Paul reassures the Corinthians and us, I believe, that what? God is able to abundantly provide. God will not just meet our minimum requirements. He, we will abound. I think that abound is a great generous word. What does it mean? I believe he's saying that as we make God's goals our goals, God is going to be eager to generously meet our needs. Let me illustrate. Think for a moment about the terms and conditions whenever you have to install new software or you have to update your smartphone. I don't know, you like me where you read about a half a paragraph, you go, I'm not reading all. I scroll down, it's like 10 pages long, it's written in legalese. I am not reading this. How many of you just go, I agree? I agree. But we also know there's probably some clause in there that some company lawyer has put in there so that they can skate free about something that will cause them major liability. It's like, yes, Mr. Keith, it's true, your phone did spontaneously catch fire, but you didn't install the latest software we gave you within the 48 hours requirement that we ask you to, so we're not liable. I just made that part up, but... Compare that picky technicality with the broad promise that God gives to us. Notice the number of times the word all is there. In what? All things. At all times. Having what? All that you need. Now that sounds pretty good. (laughs) That we will always have everything we need. That's the promise. This is how we become cheerful givers, by acting on this belief of God's promises to meet our needs. Does it mean that God's going to make every Christian extremely wealthy, although we know there's a wide range of wealth within the Christian community, and that's okay. But it does mean that the Christian who practices cheerful giving will always have everything that they need. How will God's love be experienced? The answer is found in verse eight. God is gonna show itself in generosity to Christians who cheerfully, cheerfully give back to them because they will lack nothing. Do you really believe that? Do you really believe that? I mean, yeah, I gotta believe it, Gary. It's right here in the Bible. I know it's true, so I gotta believe it. You got it in your head. But have you experienced it as part of your reality of life? God's favor, God's grace will be showered on people who give. The promise is that there will be those who have everything they need in the various situations in which they find themselves. And the purpose of God's blessings is always to prepare his people. It says in the scripture, what? Do every good work. (laughs) We're not talking about earning God's blessings. We're not talking about earning his grace. Look, God, how much I gave. (laughs) You know, take care of me, buzz. We are talking about responding to it and believing he will take care of us. Cheerful giving acts on our belief of God's promise to meet our needs. That's how a Christian comes from a place, comes from a place of obligation to a place of enjoyment. Let's pause. Hope you're still with me. Let's get real for a minute. Just you and I talking and the camera's recording all this, of course. You would probably agree with me that some people have a tougher time living this than others. Yeah. See, we read this passage and we hear about this truth and in our heads we say, this is true. <laughs> but to respond to this truth is still very hard. I mean, do I really believe God's going to provide all my needs? Can I really put God first in my finances? Can I really let go and trust him? We say, well, I'm going to start giving once I become financially secure. Then I can trust 
Really? Is that really trust? I mean, we have a difficulty, I'm speaking for me as much as I hope I'm speaking for you, pulling the trigger of response to this truth. And we live just giving what we think we can afford without hurting our already made and decided upon plans, plans that we have chosen to guide us into the future. And we end up putting our trust in our plans and not in God. But let me ask you, as I've asked myself, how can I trust God with my eternal salvation if I can't trust him with my money? Isn't that way more valuable? If I can trust God to save me? To forgive me? Get me into heaven? Why is it so hard for me to trust him to keep his promise on this subject? Well, let me try and answer that. I'll just try and figure it out. I was thinking about this question. I go, how do I answer this? Let me just give you my shot, okay? Heaven is something future-oriented, correct? It's not right here. It's not right now. We can't touch it. We can't see it, right? But we still have this solid hope. Not I hope so, but a solid hope that this will happen. But money, that's a whole other thing. Money's right here, right now. I can see it. I can touch it. I can save it. I can spend it. I can see it growing in my bank account. And I know what it can do for me right now. And we can't stop thinking that I need to keep control of that right now moment of my life. And the things regarding money that are asked of me are just too much. Gary's just too much of a counterintuitive way to live to trust God with that part of my life. Which leads me to conclude that I really don't trust God in that area of my life, if that's the way we live. You see, for us to really believe something, we need to put that belief into action. And this goes for anything we put our belief in, not just this subject today. Let's take take a chair, for example. You guys are all sitting in chairs. Probably didn't give it a thought. You said, ah, I'm just going to sit. See, I, I know that a lot about a chair I know that it looks strong enough to hold me, these nice ones we purchased for you guys, for all of us. Chairs in general are designed to hold people while they're sitting, that's good. But the truth is I really do not believe the chair will hold me until I respond. You know where I'm going with this? You respond by sitting in it. I take action. Once I sit in the chair, I put my belief in that chair. We really don't believe that God will abundantly bless me in all things at all times, knowing that I have all that I need until I put my belief into action and be a cheerful giver by responding to how God has put it in my heart to give. Even if that giving takes me sometimes to a place of personal challenge with my money where I need to see him come through. When those people gave that $20,000, it put them in a place where they needed to see God come through for their future of their life. Giving starts with a decision to trust God with our financial future. Giving, cheerful giving acts on our belief of God's promise to meet our need. Let's go to the last two verses. Now he, speaking of God, who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, will also supply and and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. So just to be clear on what he means, Paul summarizes all of this in verse 10 by alluding to two Old Testament passages. Now, Paul knows what he's talking about when it comes to the Old Testament. He was an Old Testament scholar. In fact, he was a scholar of scholars. 
He would teach the scholars how to study and be a scholar of the Old Testament. And so he knows what he's talking about. Here Isaiah 55.10 is what he's referring to where it says God provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. And then the second passage is in Hosea chapter 10 verse 12 where it says a great harvest of generosity in you. Now this is important because Paul is making a point that God's supply and God's promise have increased And they cannot simply be equated with material possessions as God's promise is increasing. The context of both Isaiah and Hosea, that sounds rhyming, Isaiah and Hosea, is the provision of God's word. God's promise here is not to make people rich in possessions, but to be rich in the wholeness of life so that God's presence and salvation can come to others as they cheerfully give. Cheerful giving, you see, right in the verse, says it leads to an enriched life. Boy, that sounds good. I want an enriched life, don't you? That's what I want. See, God supplies both the seed and the bread, both the resources to support one's family every day and the surplus to invest. And these resources that God gives are not to be hoarded. They're not to be foolishly consumed, thrown away. God gives gifts to his people for their own use for investing back into God's work. God will take our obedience and give at giving cheerfully and increase them so that we can bless many people and help us grow into this greater expression of generosity. <laughs> Cheerful giving will lead to an enriched life. You're going to be rich, enriched in every way, it says, so that on every occasion you can give. And the result is thanksgiving to God. See, to be enriched means to make wealthy, and there are lots of ways to be made wealthy. One is finances for sure. How about relationships? Are all your relationships going perfectly well? Do you feel wealthy in that part of your life? How about personal satisfaction in knowing that you are at that moment smack dab in the middle of God's will for your life, because that's where you'd be if you could be a cheerful giver. It can be living a life for others and feeling like you're in sync with God. It can be in seeing God's purpose for your life that goes way beyond every day getting up and going to work. It can be living out the kingdom of God right here and right now. And as we give cheerfully, God helps us to to become even more generous. And in doing this, our life is enriched. This is not hypothetical. This is reality. Paul said, in all ways, or in every kind of way, or in the complete wholeness of our life, we will be enriched. I started out this morning with the goal and the hope of saying, Christian giving comes from a place of enjoyment, not obligation. My goal is to help us give. And when we give, we give from enjoyment, not obligation. Not long ago, I spent time over breakfast with a man in our church. I've known this guy for at least 10 years or more. Now, as I go through this, don't try and figure this guy out, okay? He, just listen to what I'm going to say, okay? Because I don't want you to get, oh, who is that? Who is that? Who is that? Who is that? Just focus on the story because he wants to remain anonymous. This man's not always been a cheerful giver by his own testimony to me. Never. I wasn't always a cheerful giver. He says, even actually far from it. He says, I've done all the right things after giving my life to Jesus. I joined a church. wasn't this church, a different church. I started serving, and I started giving monthly. But I quickly found myself questioning if the church I was attending was spending my money prudently, and when we had unexpected expenses, 
that came up in our home, we would, our giving would drop. I found myself feeling frustrated, he said, and really guilty, which led to a poor attitude in my life about giving altogether. Then he said, well, at this church, he says, I heard a sermon about, <laughs> funny enough, cheerful giving. And it focused on the personal, not on the process, that it wasn't about him, it was about Christ in him, Jesus in him. And as he thought about how he liked being around cheerful people, you like being around cheerful people? Oh, come on, yes, you do. We can only handle a couple of negative people a week, and then we have more cheerful people in our lives, okay? He said, as I thought about how much I like being around cheerful people, he says, what a letdown I am to Jesus because I am not giving cheerfully. I'm a negative person. I'm not giving with the right attitude. So he said, I made the decision, point one. I made the decision to focus on, on personal part of giving and just to understand how this giving was going to impact lives for Jesus. He said, before that, I was greedy. He said, I would, this is a quote, I was greedy, I was selfish, and it wasn't fun. So I made the decision to be a cheerful giver. And he said, all those years ago, now as I look back, <laughs> this has affected my whole life. Every part of it for the best. Now, as I walk with this guy today, as I observe his life, as I know about his life, I mean, he's, oh, he's one of those guys that always seems to be looking for a way to give. Be more generous. He hears about a need and he goes for it. <laughs> I've witnessed this with giving of his time. It's not just about money, giving of his time, but also his finances. But I had to ask, I said, you remember 2008 when everything economy was falling apart? You know, remember that? Because you see, he owns his own business. He was having a very hard time. He says, with all those challenges and all those responsibilities that come with that, I wanted to care for my employees. I didn't want to lose any one of them. I wanted to care for my family, and it was just so hard. I wanted the business to stay in business. He said, for four years or more, things were so tight at times he didn't know if he was going to make it. But he said, because of the journey I've been on in this idea of cheerful giving, I just continued as best I could to be a cheerful giver. And God's promise to provide all that he needed at all times was a reality in his experience, he told me. Now today, he's a man who continues, as I mentioned, to give cheerfully and generously. And I can say confidently, as I know a lot about this guy, that God's promises have borne themselves out to be true. For those of us who doubt that, who wonder, I don't know if I can go there. I mean, it's so much a part of me and I just can't let go of it. It's too much I have to control. Here's one testimony. And I got to know if you knew who he was, you'd go, well, okay, that's true. He's got God's blessing him in great ways. Now, why do I tell you this? Because while we have individuals in this church that are financially generous, there is room for us to grow. You see, of people who have identified themselves as either members or attenders of this church, less than half give anything financially to keep this ministry going. Less than half. And I'm sure that may include some of you in this room. It's scary for me to even say that, looking at your faces. I go, okay, what did I just say? That's truth. 
See, for those who are here and are giving generously, and your obedience to these scriptures is making a difference. There's not a week goes by that someone doesn't come to faith. Someone doesn't have a need met financially or in other ways. Things that I wish we could spend hours and hours and hours telling you about so you could be encouraged. But the work of our mission is moving forward. But there is so much more I believe God wants to do through this church. And it takes money in this culture to do those things. But even more than that, for those of you who come and benefit from the ministries of this church, but who aren't giving, I just want to say, you're missing out. You're missing out. You're missing out on experiencing these promises of God for your life that go way beyond what you're going to be giving. You're missing out on this opportunity to see God grow you into the likeness of Jesus, who, by the way, was a pretty generous giver. As he gave his life, what more could he give? (laughs) You're missing out on seeing the generosity of God to you as you reap what you sow. You're missing out on allowing God to enrich your life beyond things maybe you haven't even thought about. Because at the end of the day, God's not really interested in your money. He's interested in what it represents. Your heart. So here's my question. What have you heard God say to you this morning? Where's your heart? I'm not speaking about the physical heart. I'm talking about the heart inside of us that we think, our soul, what what guides us into making decisions and knowing God's a part of our life. I'm talking about where is your heart? What is God's spirit saying to you right now? It's a rhetorical question. Don't answer out loud. Because each Sunday as we get up here and we share these words from Scripture, for any one of us who are up here, we don't do it just to tickle our ears and to say, that was a great sermon, Gary. Thanks so much. (laughs) I'm up here and spend the time that I do along with the others because God is at work in growing us into the image of his son. And today is the day. This is the area we're talking about. Just one of many areas we talk about that we have to yield control to God. And so I put all this stuff on an insert for you so you can take it home because I know that by five o'clock tonight you will have forgotten a lot of what I have said. (laughs) And that's not because you're a bad person. That's just how we operate in life. How, what is getting in the way of you becoming a cheerful and generous giver. It's probably different for each of you. I just want to ask you to take some time this week to think about that. If you're married, talk with your spouse about this. Talk about this is an area of growth we we need as a church. One of several. And then once you've kind of figured out what it is, maybe it's worry like it was mine. Thankfully, I have a wife that shoots me right where I need to be hit with, a worry, with the worry arrow. Get rid of that worry arrow. Okay, dear, I'll get rid of that. Let's do this. I don't know what your spouse helps you in, but that's how she helps me. How am I going to overcome that obstacle and become a cheerful and generous giver? Father, we want to trust you with all aspects of our life. And God, as I've prepared for this message, 
There are some that say, Gary, what are you doing talking about money? Don't you know that's a landmine? God, you have spoken to us a lot about our giving and our finances and how we're to trust you in it and work with you in it. So, Father, would you take all that has been said, both with the scriptures and how I presented it, and would you do a work in all of our hearts, mine included, to grow us into the image of Jesus, who was the ultimate giver to us? Would you allow us to experience the blessings that you want for us as we take steps of risk, steps of trust, as we sit in that chair? That is my prayer. Because God, this community of Upland has a lot of people who need to know you. They need to know who you are, Jesus, in the truth and the accuracy of who you really are and how you love them. Help us grow to be a church that continually grows in reaching out to a community who needs to know you, Jesus. I pray it in your name. And all of us said,